when we discuss the qualifications of an elder, we find that those things are given to us by the Apostle Paul in two places in the New Testament. One is found in the book of 1 Timothy, and the other is found in the book of Titus. And as we mentioned um, from time to time, we reference this passage that's found in the book of Titus, chapter 1 and verse 5. And I'll just very briefly say a few introductory uh, things that are by way of review, just a few. First of all, in Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul gives the reason that he left Titus in Crete. Twofold reason. Number one, to set in order the things that are lacking. And part of that that was lacking was to ordain elders in every city, in every church. It's also very important to remember that Crete was not just some little place. In fact, it was the fifth largest island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. It had over a million people living there, and I am told by ancient historians and scholars there was at least a hundred cities. It was a big place. It was 185 miles long, and at the widest part, it was 35 miles wide. Very big place. And Paul told Titus, I left you in Crete to set in order the things that are lacking and ordain elders in every city. And by that, we simply say every city is every church or congregation. Now, the word elder is, is described in three ways, three different words describing the same office. He is called an elder, he is called a bishop, and he is called a pastor. And all three of these words refer to the same man. It refers to the same office, but it describes different aspects of his position as an elder by way of his duties and so forth. For example, the word elder itself just means older. This is describing a man that is older and with experience. And by the very definition of the word elder, it disqualifies a young man. He's also called a bishop. And why is that? It describes his duty to the congregation as what? A bishop or overseer. He is also called a pastor. Why is that? It describes his task, and that is to feed or shepherd the church of God. Now, I want to add this that I didn't do last Sunday. Let's look at this. Let's look at passages that describe all of them together. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 17, it says from Miletus... He sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So in Acts chapter 20, it's talking about Paul addressing the Ephesian elders. What else? Drop down to about verse number 28, and it says this. Therefore, take heed to yourself and to all the flock among the which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, that's bishops, to shepherd, that's pastor, the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Let's notice one more. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it contains it all in the same two verses. It says, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd or pastor the flock of God which is among you serving as overseers or bishops not by constraint, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. I simply showed you this passage to describe it's the same man. He is an elder, he is a shepherd or a pastor, and he is an overseer or a bishop as well. It's all talking about the same man. All right, so 
we realize this. There's about 24 qualifications for a man to be an elder. What have we noticed so far? Number one, he must desire the office. But not only that, if he's going to desire the title, he must eagerly and more earnestly desire the work. Sometimes people just want the title, they don't want the work in life and in various aspects of life. And Paul would describe if a man desires the office, he must even more so desire the work. He must be a man of good reputation. In other words, no sustainable charge held against him. Not perfect, but blameless. He is to be a one-woman man. He is to be faithful and true to his bride, just like Jesus Christ is faithful and true to his bride, and that is the church. So, what is that called? Paul calls that the husband of one wife. Regardless of how many children that he has, they must all be faithful Christians. Not faithful to their father, but faithful to the Lord. He must be a calm person and watchful. The King James calls that vigilant. The New King James just simply says that means temperate. He is to be a man of self-control. I have to make a little side point here. Have you noticed all of the qualifications we've noticed so far and will notice today? How many deal with a person's self-control? How many deal with a person having self-control? Controlling yourself. You know why? It's hard to do that. It's sometimes hard to do that. But this is a man. This is a man, an elder. He is going to be sober-minded. And that means this. He's going to demonstrate self-control in both his premeditated actions and his non-premeditated reactions. He must not be a reactionary type of sort. What else? He's to be respectable or of good behavior. Remember the word that's we get another word from that Greek word, and it's the word cosmetics. Remember I talked about that? Cosmetics. And uh, the kind of cosmetics we're talking about is not something that conceals or covers up, but it's something that highlights and reveals the beauty that's already there. That's what we're talking about. An elder is somebody, by a respectable lifestyle, with good behavior, demonstrates outwardly the beauty that he already has inside, and that's Jesus Christ. Remember that song we used to sing, Let the Beauty of Jesus Be Seen in Me? Or how about songs like, Christ Liveth in Me? That's the way a Christian lives. That's the way a Christian is. You know what an elder must be? He must be a person that is of good behavior, demonstrating that which is already inside. And by the way, every Christian falls into that category. Don't all of these or most of these or many of these describe just a regular Christian? What else? has to be hospitable, that means a lover of strangers, and must be able to teach, and that is skillful, and that is capable of doing so. All right, now we're going to begin with point number 10, qualification number 10. And by the way, some of these things will go quickly, some of these things are more obvious than others, and some of these things will spend a little more time. And again, like I said, our sermon has six points and one verse. And the first one that we want to notice is not given to wine. Now, when you talk about this, it's found in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 3. What does it actually mean when it says not given to wine? That phrase actually means this. And don't let anyone else tell you any differently. The phrase not given to wine simply means this. He must not drink 
intoxicating beverages, period. Now, literally, it means this. It means not beside wine. Kenneth Wuest said this, it's a person who is beside wine is a person that sits long at his wine. Now, the meaning is a person who is given to wine is one who is beside wine. So what is he saying? An elder, an elder has nothing to do with that stuff. Period. Okay, we have to fast forward a few lessons from now as we get into the deacons. I'm just going to make one quick point. We're going to get back to it later on down the road. When he talks about an elder, he says an elder must not be given to wine. But then when he talks about a deacon, he says an elder, a deacon must not be given to much wine. So you know how people interpret that? They say, oh, an elder can't have any. A deacon can have a little. Therefore, if a deacon can have a little, then a Christian can have a little in moderation, and therefore, social drinking is okay. Okay, I promise to get into that later on. I'm just going to tell you, though, it doesn't mean that. And when he says not given to much wine, it doesn't mean you can have a little. Just don't have a lot. doesn't mean that at all. All right, that being said, about an elder not given to wine. Also this, it doesn't justify anybody else in addition to an elder uh, being allowed to drink. In fact, Barnes says this, listen to this. The way in which the apostle mentions the subject of wine here would lead us to fairly suppose that he did not mean to commend its use in any sense, that he regarded its use as dangerous and that one would do no injury to himself or others by leaving it entirely alone. He may do injury, though, by indulging in it. Now, let's go further about this and prove what it actually means. It actually comes from a Greek word, peroinos, and that is a combination of the preposition para, which means at, by the side of, or near, and the word oinos, which is wine. In other words, an elder doesn't need to be anywhere near that. Now, i got to say this. Does that mean, does that mean that if you're in a restaurant, this is I'm going to tell you, we don't go to bars, we don't do all that stuff. But I'm going to tell you, you can't eliminate every aspect of somebody else drinking in your vicinity. You can't eliminate that. It's all around. You have nothing to do with that. You can go to a restaurant and sit at a table and be there with your family drinking iced tea and somebody sitting right there at a, at a table right next to you is drinking alcohol. So is Paul saying when he says you cannot be beside wine, is he saying that you have to get up and leave and you can't be sitting next to a table that is having alcoholic beverage? No, not at all. You know what this means? It simply means this. When he says... You must not drink it. You can't be beside it. You can't be near it. What he means is total abstinence. That's all. It means total abstinence. Now, some mistranslations, folks, have led some people to believe that Paul was just being against the idea of being drunk. In other words, as long as you drink it in moderation, it was okay. But if you have it in excess, that's wrong and don't get drunk. And one of the reasons that people deduce that is because of various mistranslations. I'm going to give you a mistranslation of this passage. And it's a bad translation on that. It's found in the Amplified Bible. Listen to this. 
In the Amplified Bible, it's, it's a misleading, bad translation on this passage because it says, not addicted to wine. But that's not the point at all. His point wasn't being addicted to wine. His point was stay away from it completely. An elder has to stay away from it totally. Now, interesting though, in the Amplified Bible Classic Edition, it says the same thing, not given to wine. And that's the point. So the reason that he's not talking about being addicted to wine, and that's a bad translation, is because Paul is talking about just staying away from it, period. Okay, i got to add something. i got to add alcoholism and addiction for a minute. I'm going to tell you something. Alcoholism and addiction is real stuff. And it is true that some people, more than others, have an addictive personality or have addictive traits. So one person could partake of something and really they could take it or leave it for the rest of their life. And other people can partake of something and become addicted to it and have to have it. Well, I want to talk about that for just a minute. I want to talk about alcoholism and I want to talk about the idea of being addicted. First of all, let me say this, and, and let me add this too. I do agree that once a person has alcoholism or is addicted to it, the experts say that that could be categorized or classified as somebody that has an actual disease. It's the disease of alcoholism or it's the disease of addiction. Okay, I could buy that with this exception. First of all, alcoholism may be a disease, but the choice to drink is not. The choice to drink is not a disease. That is a willful choice. And the absolute best way, especially when some of us may have very addictive personalities, the very best way to not get in trouble is to not be anywhere near it. Don't have anything to do with it. And by the way, I've known some very addictive personalities in my life. In fact, I got a good friend. I got a very good friend. We, went to, we grew up together. We, we junior rodeoed together. We went to Cal Poly together. Great friends. And after Cal Poly, he lives here in Bakersfield, he continued to drink and drink and drink and drink, became an alcoholic. And I remember that we had an intervention. I was asked to go there by his father, and we tried to, and we got him in a rehab. <clears throat> now, he was absolutely addicted to the chemical of, in alcohol. He was addicted to it, absolutely. He needed help. He needed even medical help to get off of. Okay? My point is this. He'd have never had a problem if he never took the first drink. Alcoholism may be a disease, but the choice to drink is not. An elder, folks, needs to abstain. An elder needs to stay away. And by the way, I'm talking to every Christian. Please get that. Please understand. If you want to be on the path of what God wants for your life, you abstain from those kind of things in your life. What else? As I said before, some of these things go, to, go quickly and some a little longer. Here's another one. What about this, not violent? The King James says, not a striker. And I think it's obvious what that's talking about. And we go back to our passage. So not only, not only is an elder not to be given to wine, which means what? Don't go anywhere near it, stay away from it, abstain, total abstinence, move on. 
But then you can't be a striker. You can't be violent. That actually means not a bruiser, not one ready with a blow. That's somebody else that is called a bully. Now, I'm going to tell you, I, I have to say this too. I do believe that the word bully and bullying is an overused word. It really is. In fact, it even get, and I'm, I'm, I'm against bullying. I'm against picking on people. I'm against that totally, thoroughly, completely against it. But sometimes people look at the idea of a bully and they say bullying because somebody said, I don't like your hairstyle. Bullying. By the way, that happened in school. I heard about these kids, and one said, that's the, that's the dumbest-looking haircut I've ever seen to another boy. You know what? He reported it, bullying me. Really? Is that how far we've become to being courageous and tough in life? Is that it? I, I used to have a small head when I was growing up in big ears. I was in class one day, and this guy came up and says, man, how big are your ears? You know what they say today? Bullying. You know what a bully is? A bully is someone that is a bruiser. He is somebody that is ready with a blow. He is somebody that is ready with a strike. He is ready for someone for, to, to do those kind of things. That's a bully. Elder can't be that. And by the way, a Christian can't either. He wasn't saying, an elder, you better not be violent, but Christians, fair game, start socking each other. It's all right. It's not what he said. Listen to this. One scholar said that there's quite possibly a reason that the word violent is listed right after wine. Listen to this. I'll read it to you. He said, perhaps Paul is referring to fights resulting from the consumption of intoxicating drinks. Intoxicating drinks as well as uncontrolled emotions can result in physical violence and an elder must not be in must be in control of both of those now i've known people in my lifetime every time they went out and drank they got a fight in other words their drinking was connected or their use of intoxicants was connected to their behavior and they became violent is that why paul listed these one after the other i don't know Makes sense, though. I've known two kinds of people when they get drunk. One loves everybody. The other one wants to fight everybody. Can't do that. Can't be a violent person. In fact, what we need to be is this. This is the flip side. An elder is gentle, considerate of the other person. Incidentally, so is a Christian. 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel... But be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. So, an elder can't drink and he can't be violent. What else? He can't be greedy for money. You know, this is an interesting one here. Interesting one here found in our passage. Not greedy for money. It actually comes from a Greek word that means he is not a lover of money. This word is only found in two places in all of the Bible. Two places. It's found here, and it's also found in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, and it's translated in Hebrews 13, 5 as covetousness, as the King James renders that. 
And it's also translated and rendered in the NIV as free from the love of money. Now, what is the root of all evil? It is not money. It is the love of money. It's the love of money. David Lipscomb said this. This is a person who is not willing to use wrong means to obtain money. He's not anxious for sudden riches. Another commentator said this. We're talking about someone, if he is guilty of this, being greedy for money. We're talking about someone that has an intense fondness for money, avarice or miserliness. What does that mean? Well, first of all, the word avarice means extreme greed for material gain or wealth. That's what avarice means. So in other words, a person that's greedy is going to be a person that's that. Elder has to be the opposite of that. What else? A miser. Have you ever known a miser? Sometimes people criticize others that are close to the vest as, boy, they're really a miser. I'm not saying that a frugal person is guilty of being a miser. Please understand. Because I'm going to tell you, we have to be good stewards of our money. We have to do that. We've got to make good choices with what the Lord has blessed us with. That's all true. So when I say that somebody is frugal or somebody is really under control regarding their finances, I'm not saying that's a miser. I'm saying that a miser is somebody that's a person that hoards wealth and spends as little as possible, even when it is necessary. It is the opposite of generous. It's the opposite of generous. This is a very neglected qualification. Here's the point, though. An elder that's stingy and miserly with his own money is probably going to be the same way with the Lord's money. A congregation that is miserly won't spend the money to preach the gospel. Now, i got to tell you, this congregation does an excellent job and has the right attitude and the right spirit when it comes to spending the Lord's money to preach the gospel. As you know that we support, this congregation supports, I believe, seven Filipino preachers. We support, partly support, Brother Dwayne Permanner in Hawaii. We support another preacher in Africa. All of you, the congregation here, supports me and my living to preach the gospel. We have gospel meetings where we will spend money when a preacher comes and preaches the gospel. So when I say about somebody being a miser, I'm certainly not speaking of this congregation. I'm just saying no wonder, no wonder it's a requirement. Because a man that is greedy for money is guilty of avarice, is guilty of being a miser. Guess what? You put that guy in, he'll be just as, as the opposite of generous in the church as he will be in his personal life. Have to be somebody of a generous <coughs> spirit. Elders should be examples of generosity in the church. Paul said, "Love the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil." An elder who is miserly will also be critical of those who attempt to teach the truth about liberal giving. That's true. And by the way, did you know this? Did you know this that that even happened to Jesus? That even happened to Jesus. A couple weeks ago, Terry gave us an excellent lesson on giving, on the contribution, on liberal giving and how we give. 
And, uh, you know, the Bible's clear about how the money is to be spent in a generous way and to take care of the work of the church. A person that's a miser will be critical of somebody that taught a lesson like Terry taught. And you know what? What's amazing is you don't have to feel bad if there's a miser like that. They take it like that and they're critical because guess what? Happened to the Lord too. Jesus is teaching a lesson in the book of Luke on money. And in Luke 16 and 14, watch this. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard all these things and they derided him. The word derided simply means contempt or ridicule. So a person that's a miser, a person that's greedy for money, will criticize somebody that teaches a lesson about how we should feel about money. Paul, though, is not saying that an elder should not be concerned about financial matters. In fact, Paul even defended the fact that an elder can receive financial remuneration or support for his services, just like a preacher. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17, listen to this. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and doctrine. Now, let me explain double honor. Double honor doesn't mean he gets two paychecks. Double honor, one of them is talking about financial remuneration or support, and the other is talking about the honor of being in the position of an elder. That is honorable. It's honorable before men. It is honorable before God, an elder. So what he's saying is if an elder is dedicating his entire life to being an elder and teaching the word of God in word and doctrine, that's his job now. He doesn't, he, he doesn't have another job. He's worthy of double honor. The second honor is the financial support. So Paul wasn't saying that an elder can't have anything to do with receiving money. When elders serve in a full-time capacity, they may be paid as preachers who serve the church and preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, 14. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Paul is simply saying with this qualification that his attitude must be a certain way toward material things. He must be generous and unselfish. Here's another one. He must be gentle. And I got to tell you, this doesn't mean that he's a pushover. This doesn't mean he's not a strong person. This doesn't mean that at all. In fact, the word gentle there comes from a Greek word, get this, that means mildness, gentleness, fairness, and sweet reasonableness. Let's flip that. Have you ever dealt with a person that was completely unreasonable? Have you ever had a discussion with somebody and the person was completely unreasonable? You are wasting your time when you deal with an unfair or unreasonable person. So the elder is supposed to be this guy. He is gentle. What does that mean? He is gentle. He's fair. He's reasonable. He's a reasonable man. The King James renders this passage simply patient. This word is also found in other passages in James chapter 3 and verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, with partiality and without hypocrisy. 
Here's another passage. Titus chapter 3 and verse 2. To speak evil of no one. Same word. To be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Philippians 4.15. Let your gentleness be made known to all men. The Lord is at hand. So instead of, what he's saying is, instead of being this guy, don't do that. Be that guy. In your demeanor in your behavior and be reasonable be yielding to your relations with your relations to others in fact Paul also uses the word to describe the gentle nature of every servant which means this it is all Christians except with the ability to teach it says and the servant of the Lord must not quarrel but be gentle to all able to teach and patient so a person that is gentle an elder is described in that way as someone that is gentle, kind, yielding, and moderate. And again, here's another example of somebody that could be put in a category of someone that demonstrates self-control. Let me just say this before we go to the next one. Don't you think, with a lot of the things that we have noticed... I'm talking to the men, I'm talking to the women. In a lot of the things that we have noticed regarding demeanor and behavior, don't you think that if you would do these things and work on these things in your life, you would be a better Christian? So when I preach on elders, don't think that if you're a, a sister in the congregation, that really, those, those are great points, but they don't have anything to do with me. That's not true. There are many things that are exclusive to the office of an elder, but there are many things that also affect and include all Christians. Now, an elder is a man also that is not quarrelsome. Not quarrelsome. In other words, he's a man that is without battle. And that comes from the Greek word amakos. Now, one of the ways to understand... The word amakos is to look at the Greek noun, the opposite of that. So what's the opposite? The opposite is the word mako. And by the way, do you see what kind of English word looks like that word? Remember that ridiculous song, macho, macho man? And what they did is they took that song as describing a man that was a manly man. He was called a macho man. Well, what they're doing is, what they're doing is they're kind of misapplying the word mako, the Greek word mako, it means this, somebody that is guilty of quarrels, disputes, and fighting. That's what that word means. So in other words, don't be physically violent. Don't be argumentative. Don't be involved in quarrels all the time. Disputes all the time. Paul said also to avoid questions that gender strife. And in the very and that's found in 2 Timothy 2:23, the very next word, the ne very next verse is the verb form of the word used in this passage. Notice this. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel. It's the verb form of this word. Don't do that. Don't be a quarrelsome type person. Now, a little context at this time. You know, many of the Jews were being very contentious and they were being quarrelsome about certain theories that they had developed concerning the law. 
And they were very argumentative about that. Paul told Timothy, don't engage in these quarrels with the Jews. He told Titus the same thing. In Titus 3 and 9, he said, but avoid dis foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and striving about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Now, I'm not saying that you don't earnestly contend for the faith. I'm not saying you don't stand for the truth. I'm not doing that at all. But have you ever had a religious discussion with someone and they really didn't want the truth? They just wanted to fight. They just wanted to argue. They had a preconceived idea of what they thought they believed. So instead of sitting down with the word of God and reasoning with the word of God to find the truth, all they wanted to do was quarrel and fight. The Jews were like that. The Jews were guilty of that. They had all these theories around the law. And they wanted to argue, they wanted to be quarrelsome, they wanted to be contentious, they wanted to cause problems. Paul told in two passages, Timothy and Titus, don't do that. Don't do that. I had a Bible study one time with a fellow. He did that. He came in with a paper bag, and the paper bag was full of all kinds of books. And these books were basically proving in his mind his theory about Christianity and salvation. And it was where he got all of his thoughts and what have you. And I showed up with only the Bible. And he got mad when I refused to look at the books. I said, read that right there. Very respectfully and kindly read that. He read it, and then he said, but it doesn't mean that. I said, why isn't that? Why doesn't it mean that? You know what he did? He went into the bag. I said, no, no, no. No, the bag's off limits. And then he got mad. He wanted to argue and fight. He didn't really want to know the truth. He wanted to fight. What I'm saying is this. That kind of a personality of somebody that wants to fight, he can't be an elder. He can't be an elder. He can't be a quarrelsome or argumentative person. And finally, here's our last one. It's obvious and quick. Here it is. It fits being greedy for money. It falls in the line with the very same thing, and it's the idea of not being covetous. Not being covetous. Now, Kenneth Wuess says that not being covetous means he is not fond of silver, but he is free from the love of silver. He further said it's similar to being greedy for money. In other words, the love of money is not his problem. This is the guy that says he's free from the love of that and he's not materially minded. Money is not his God. That's all that means. Guess what we've done? In four lessons, in four sermons, we've now knocked out 15 qualifications. So in closing and in conclusion, here they are. We talked about all of these. I'm not going to go back into these. We talked about these before we began our lesson, but there they are. What do we know today? He can't have anything to do with drinking at all. He's got to stay away from any all those intoxicants. He's not to be a striker or a violent man. Physical altercations, he can't be that kind of a guy. He must not be greedy for money. He must have a generous spirit and not be a miser for that. 
He must be gentle in that he must be a reasonable man, a fair man, one that considers the other person's thoughts and the other person as a person when they discuss things with him. He's not to be a quarrelsome, argumentative kind of guy. And he must not be covetous. Money cannot be his God. He must have only one God and everything else falls in line with that. I'm through this morning. Thank you for your kind listening. I hope and pray that something was said that was helpful and encouraging to you in some way as we continue our series on such an important thing as being an elder and his work. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.